Technology has never been more vital to the success of people and organizations around the globe. And that's where you come in. Welcome to MindQuest. I am your host, Mikel Morales, and this is Mission Control Center. Hello and welcome to Mission Control Center, your one-stop shop for IT careers and recruitment advice. This week we have a very special interview with Ricky Heiberg, a Dutch cybersecurity expert who, after being arrested for hacking the University of Michigan, decided to show the world that his talents could also be a force for good. He's the founder of Scattered Secrets, a password breach notification and prevention service that is helping businesses and individuals protect their online accounts. Make sure to visit mindquest.io slash blog for a full transcript of the interview. There you'll also find a new article discussing CV writing tips for IT pros. But without further delay, let's welcome Ricky. Welcome, Ricky. Thank you so much for being here with us, sharing your story. Tell us a bit more about you. How did you get into hacking? My dad really introduced me to tech. I'm not a, a typical technical person. I like to play outside, those kind of things. Uh, so not necessarily behind a computer. Uh, but my dad bought a computer at a young age. So I started playing with it at a young age too. Uh, you had paid internet uh, back in the days, uh, which cost a lot of money. Um, and I liked the internet a lot because you could look up any information uh, that you uh, wish for. So my parents at one point had, a, had to pay a lot of money for the internet connection. Uh, so they used the Windows password. Then I managed to break in the, the, the Windows user account. I uh, started using the internet again. They got mad again. Then my dad used a bias password on his computer, which was a, a proper measure to keep me out for one month or so. And then I managed to take out the whole modem, put it in my own computer, uh, install all of the drivers, and use the phone connection uh, from the moment they left the house. And I managed to put my computer in such a position that if they came home, I could see them entering, uh, remove the cable, remove the modem, put the modem back in the computer just in time before they entered the house. I wasn't really busy with hacking uh, or anything. I just wanted to get the things done. Uh, that's, uh, that's what I did. Then at the age of 13, you created Varnaming.nl, a community-driven platform where users collect and share data for nature conservation, research, and education. How did you go from there to the major leagues of hacking? Uh, usually when I talk about the things that I achieved, I usually envision Wahrnehmung.nl as the, uh, the, the brightest thing that I've done in the sense that I didn't make any euros from it, uh, but it contributes a lot to society. Uh, at one point, the website got hacked, which I will never forget because I put a lot of effort in the website and then... One dude just took it offline and put some uh, defacement posters on it. Um, and uh, I put the website back online. And then I remember after like half an hour, the guy defaced the website again, which was for him a lot of fun. For me, it was not. Uh, but then I decided I don't want this to happen any, any more in the future. And the only way to stop it is to understand how hackers work. Pretty quickly, I hacked my first computer. I kept on challenging myself and in order to set higher targets at the time. Uh, back in the days, uh, nobody got arrested for it. So it was, uh, I didn't break any computer. I didn't delete any files or whatever you can imagine. So I went from one computer to a computer network. I went to the universities the, because the university has had uh, uh, fast internet connections. And... Um, 
so I moved the ladder up and up and up, and eventually I was able to basically hack any network, move lateral within the network, become domain admin. And that's uh, where sort of my story uh, ended. And then you got caught. The University of Michigan, for some reason, managed to do some forensic investigations, found me and arrested me. This was back in the day, so not a lot of hackers got arrested at the time. I also hacked NASA, to, to just put you up an example. And I remember a guy getting arrested for hacking NASA, and I knew at the time it was very normal, basically, to hack computers at NASA. So the other thing I knew from that is that not that many hackers were getting arrested. What exactly happened with the whole University of Michigan incident? The, the University of Michigan was sort of my playground, Uh, because the internet connection there was very slow. So if I wanted to try some new tools that I found or new exploits that I used, uh, I usually tried it on the network there, which is probably one of the reasons they, they sort of caught me. Uh, but they did a proper uh, forensic investigation and they determined that I was in the network, that I had full control over the network, and that I didn't do anything else in the network. So that's why the, the FBI basically... They had the, the whole file on me, but they didn't really know what to do with it. Uh, so they decided to not chase me, actually. So they, they left the whole case there. Then, after some years under trial and a suspended sentence, you went back to hacking. But with a different approach. You went on to create Scattered Secrets. What was your thinking? When I got or, or on trial, uh, I was like, should I continue this uh, or not? Uh, so I doubted that for like two years. And after two years, I was like, well, I'm only good at one thing. So let's just fight back and show everybody that I'm on the good side and that I don't have anything to do with criminals or whatever. So I did a lot of penetration testing. And at one point I noticed that you can easily hack any company and you usually do the same trick. And that's uh, where I started building uh, Scattered Secrets because it's, you can, in my theory, you can hack every company uh, by simply looking at the passwords that are leaked. Uh, and that's a thing that you often see. Uh, so that's what we're trying right now. Uh, we're basically doing the low-hanging fruit. The, for the most hackers, it's not that interesting. It's not that advanced, all that kind of stuff. Uh, but in our opinion, it's the most dangerous and easiest way to hack any company at the moment. So you basically monitor for passwords that have been hacked and leaked. Where do hackers get these passwords? The funny thing here is that most passwords are leaked through only a few databases. We have a few enormous uh, leaks. Uh, one of them is MyHeritage, the other one is MySpace, and the third one is LinkedIn. So that's where uh, most passwords come from. Uh, but it's often uh, the, the small databases that, uh, that people are, are in. And uh, once every two years, you have an enormous breach. Dropbox is another big one, and uh, Adobe is a big one. Uh, yeah, so I think it's around two years that you have an enormous database, and Uh, one that we can crack and one that's very useful for us uh, from that moment on. Given these ongoing data leaks and recent headline-grabbing global breaches, how do you think we're doing in terms of cybersecurity? Uh, we're getting better. Uh, often if you talk to security experts, they say we're not getting better. Uh, but in my opinion, uh, there won't be a single day without hacks. Uh, that's simply because you have the human factor and the human factor is always vulnerable. So we can build secure systems, but there's still a human using it. So it will always be vulnerable. So we have to deal with the fact that there will always be hacks. At the same time, I think most multinationals now have a certain base level. 
And sure, in the news, we see the ones that don't have that base level. But we're getting more and more mature. I think that's the most valuable lesson. And to you, what's the most challenging aspect of cybersecurity? As a security researcher, I think the most challenging part is that you have to keep up with your knowledge and uh, you have to continue learning and working. And if you stop doing certain things, uh, your knowledge starts to lag behind. So it's a constant battle into uh, keeping your knowledge on a certain level. And what are your go-to cybersecurity education resources to stay at that level? That's absolutely the, the SANS Institute, S-A-N-S. In my opinion, they're the only one, the only real experts. If you take a course there, it's very expensive, between six and 8,000 euros. So it's absolutely not cheap, <laughs> uh, but it's absolutely worth the money. Thank you, Ricky. We hope to talk to you soon again. And now, let's see what happened in technology this week. Speaking of cybersecurity experts, a new study from Trend Micro revealed that security operations center and IT security teams are experiencing acute stress that goes well beyond the working hours. The survey of security decision makers found that 70% of respondents felt their lives were being negatively affected due to the high level of threat alerts. Half of the respondents felt overwhelmed by the sheer volume of alerts received and had problems prioritizing and answering them. Even though stress is a pervasive issue among cybersecurity practitioners, the COVID-19 pandemic has accentuated the situation, with over 60% of respondents having noticed an increase in stress levels over the last 12 months. And moving on to other news, Microsoft has taken advantage of its virtual Build 2021 event to announce a series of new features and services coming to its Azure Arc multi-cloud platform. Services including Azure App Service, Functions, Logic Apps and API Management will now be able to be deployed to any cloud-native computing foundation conforming a Kubernetes cluster. With this new capability now available in preview, developers and customers can now run the same app services across platform-as-a-service and Kubernetes, delivering the productivity and the control of both worlds. Finally, an artificial intelligence model trained on four decades of scientific research has identified correctly 19 out of the 20 biotechnology papers that have had the biggest impact on the discipline over the years. The AI has then selected 50 recent papers that it predicts will make the top 5% of biotech papers in the future. Proponents of the system believe such research discovery methods could help unearth pivotal insights that would otherwise go unnoticed. But the announcement has also sparked outrage among those who think it would serve to perpetuate existing biases in the research community. And that's all for this week. Make sure you're following us on social media. We're on LinkedIn at MindQuest Talent and on Twitter at MindQuesting. Thank you for listening and until next time.